Hey guys, it's good to be here today. Man, all, through that whole introduction, I like took away all my, uh, my introduction there. I appreciate, appreciate that, Jason. But I just want to uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles. I'll go ahead and say that. I, if I don't go ahead and do this and get going, I, I, I know I'm on a time frame, so I want to get, get that uh, covered. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. Be turning to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 today. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is just go through uh, books of the Bible verse by verse. I don't think that's anything new for you guys. I think you do the same thing. So as you're turning there, I just want to thank you uh, and let you know that there are people now in the kingdom of God. There are people whose sins have been forgiven, people who are gathering together in Surprise, Arizona that weren't before, people that were not worshiping Jesus in a, in a church or a part of a church people who were wounded, people who were broken, people who were uh, quite religious and trusting in their own good deeds uh, for their own salvation, whose lives have been wrecked and ruined for the glory of God and for the good of themselves, but because of the gospel of Jesus. And we could not do what we do if it wasn't for partnerships that we have with Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church and with Northwestern Baptist Association. One of the most beautiful things is knowing that there are people back in Oklahoma and different parts of the country that are praying for us, that care about us, that care about what we're doing, that care about gospel-centered ministry. And so I just want to thank you on behalf of Valley Life Church in Surprise, which is kind of a crazy name. Surprise is a real neat city. Uh, in 2000, the year 2000, there was only like 30,000 people that lived there. In 2010, there was almost 130,000 people that lived there. Uh, there is uh, lots of people growing, lots of people wanting to move in to that place. And so there's a great need for this gospel work there. And so we're happy to be there, proud of the work that Jesus is doing. By God's grace, we've been able to baptize uh, 10 people in our first year. And so we've got some other people that are candidates. And so we're processing through them and working on their baptism testimonies and those kinds of things and putting together our next uh, baptism service. So again, I'm Jason, but I'm not uh, Jason Dirks. I'm Jason Vance. My wife, Carrie, uh, is traveling with me. She'll be uh, with me today. And uh, we've got, we do have five kids that get asked all the time. People want to walk up to me and say, you know what causes that, don't you? And I was like, yes, yes, we know exactly what causes that, you know? Um, yeah, we do. And uh, so we like a big family. And I, you know, Pastor Jason's family, I think we're kind of mirror each other. And so uh, all my, half my kids are with their grandparents this week. When our, my parents found out we were going to be in the same state as them, they're like, bring me my babies, right? And so that's why they're not all with me today. So if you've turned to Galatians chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10. And the reason that I want to share these verses with you is um, I had to spend a great deal of time. Uh, Pastor Jason was asking me last night, what are, the, what are some of the three biggest lessons that you've learned? Because uh, we've been a part of a church plant before that, that quite frankly, it just we weren't ready to go. And so when we got there, it... Uh, we came back home six months later, and then this time, things have seemed to just have the hand of the Lord on it. Things are going well. He said, what have you learned? What are the three biggest things? I'd say number one is assessment. The very first thing that we found out is like if, I used to think that faith was if everyone told you that it was a bad idea and you went and did it anyways, that that was faith. And I realized, no, that's, that's not faith. Like faith, it, God calls you to do things that are beyond your capabilities, Right? But he doesn't call you to like plant tomato plants in December and expect them to, to produce fruit in February, right? Like he's created rhythms and seasons and a way the world works and his sovereignty and his predestined goodness, right? And so one of the things that we've had is seasoned men, people who have church, planted churches before, 
to see over our church plant and be able to pull me aside at any given time and, and say, have you thought through this? And one of the things that they asked me to think through is what are you calling people to? We know what we're calling people from, but what are you calling people to? So what I'm sharing with you is, is what we built our core team on uh, at Valley Life Church. What I'm sharing with you this morning is what we teach our community group leaders, or you guys might know those as small group leaders or Sunday school leaders. This, this is what I want to walk through with anyone who's brand new to Valley Life Church and just remind them that we're not just calling them away from something, we're calling them to something. We don't just simply want to plant a worship service in the city of surprise. We want to plant a church in the city of surprise. A church is a people of God on his mission. So, uh, so anyways, I want you to look with me in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. There's a couple of reasons that I love the book of Galatians so much. Number one is because uh, I was preaching through this several years ago, and God used this book to really uh, get a hold of my heart and change some things about me as a pastor. The second favorite reason I like this book is because Paul wrote it primarily because he was hacked off. And anytime you can read somebody's writing when they're angry, it's I love it. Like He just went on a complete rant because he was angry. He says, I'm astonished or I'm perplexed or I'm hacked or I'm ticked or whatever word you want to put in that little line there that you have gotten away from the gospel. He writes this letter to the churches of Galatia. He wants them to pass it around. You know, he goes on a tyrant and uh, writes this book of the Bible, and he wants to remind people of the gospel, that we are saved by the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus. The way we enter the kingdom of heaven is by being humble and realizing that there's nothing we can do to take away our sins, that all the work has been done and accomplished by Jesus. There's nothing we can do to become righteous. Even our righteousness itself is given to us because of Jesus. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he took away our sin and became it and he gave us his righteousness. And so uh, Paul writes this book because he's angry that the churches that he had planted have drifted from the gospel. And so he spends the first four chapters of this book really dealing with theology and reminding them of who they are, where they come from, that we're a people of faith, that we don't inherit the kingdom of heaven because of who our grandpa is. We don't inherit the kingdom of heaven because we uh, are religious and we don't stay out of the kingdom of heaven because uh, we're bad, that we enter the kingdom of heaven because of the work of Jesus. Then he spends the last two chapters of Galatians kind of working out what it practically looks like, what it looks like to keep in step with the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And then in Galatians chapter 6, he gives us this picture of gospel proclamation, gospel community, and gospel mission. And that's kind of the outworking of this big rant that he's been on and, and calls us to now take these ideas and work them out in our lives. And this is what it should look like. So if you're with me in Galatians 6, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or, or sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to be boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Will you guys go to the throne with me? Jesus, we love you. We thank you um, that you lived a life we could never live, died a death that we deserved, and showed your power and flexed your glory over the grave, that, um, that there is no sting in death, that we have victory over it, only because of your finished work, your life, death, and your resurrection. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would illuminate our souls, that you would give us eyes to see truth, ears to hear truth, and a heart that is soft and moldable and pliable in your hands, ready to find our sin, confess our sin, and turn from our sin, and be shaped into the person that you would have us to be. I love you, and I thank you for this opportunity to preach today to my friends. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, what are we calling people to? Uh, You guys know the gospel, but I want to remind you of it because that's what Paul does in every letter that he writes. He reminds us of the gospel of Jesus. I want you to think about who his audience primarily is whenever this letter gets read in front of a church just like this. Imagine someone standing up and before the congregation and reading, hey, Paul wrote to us. And again, he starts saying, hey, the work of Jesus. Jesus died on a cross for our sins. He died in our place for our sins. Remember that it's his, his death, burial, and his resurrection is the means in which that we are saved, that you're saved by grace uh, and saved by faith in Christ faith and repentance, the grace and the work of Jesus. It's not of ourselves. And so he works this out in every letter. Why does he do that? Because we're prone to forget the gospel. We're prone to forget the gospel. I told my church last week, one of my favorite things, one of my favorite things about singing is it's the one opportunity that we actually get to put words in your mouth. I don't know if you realize, I was doing it too. Like whatever was on the screen, y'all were like, I'm just gonna say what's on the screen, right? Whatever's up there, I'm gonna say it. They're gonna play some chords and it's gonna sound good, but we actually put good theology in your lips whenever we sing every Sunday morning and we put the gospel in song, you actually get to say it. And it's one of the uh, means in which the Holy Spirit has chosen to fill us with his spirit is when we come together and we sing those songs and remind ourselves of the gospel. The reason it's so important that we proclaim the gospel all of the time and all that we do is because we forget it. So in, in verses six or verse six one, Paul says, "Brothers or sisters, you know, if anyone is caught in sin, and and not like not like everyone else isn't." He says, "If anyone is caught, like we're all in sin, right?" Like, do you, I don't know if you remember, like, I, I kind of grew up in a, in a free will Baptist church. I don't know if you know any differences there, but its primary motivator for all repentance of sin was guilt and shame and fear. You know, all the things that Jesus died and, and resurrected for, like, so that we didn't have, he motivates us with grace and acceptance and mercy, right? But I remember hearing uh, sermons like, you don't want Jesus to come back and find you in your sin, do you? And I would think, how else is he going to, I'd be, I'd be like eight years old, how else is he going to find me other than in my sin? Like sin is not just behavior, it's kind of who we are, right? Like I remember not being able to reconcile this, so I started fearing Jesus like he was the assistant principal, right? Like the principal in high school, he was like the guy you never saw, but the assistant principal is the guy that carried like the paddle on his keychain, right? 
And so I just imagined Jesus was this angry guy that was going to come back one day because he had to, because his dad, the principal, sent him in to kind of clean things up. And I realized Jesus is coming in hope, right? He's bringing shalom. He's bringing peace to us. He's bringing our, our fullness of our redemption to, to make us right and to make us who we are supposed to be. So when he says whoever gets caught in any transgression, he's not acting like we're some of us, most of us are without sin, but some of us have sin. He's just saying that there are times when, that it finally comes to light. There are times when our sin finally comes into a collision course with a means of grace and someone that loves us enough will speak truth into our lives. And so Paul is saying, when you're caught in a sin, you who are spiritual. When he says spiritual, he doesn't mean like there are varsity Christians that are spiritual. Then there's junior varsity Christians who are just not. He just means like whenever you do this, this is spiritual. This is the work of the Holy Spirit because he just talked about that in chapter five. Those of you that are filled with the Spirit and move in on your friends who you love, There's nothing more beautiful than someone who loves Jesus and loves you that comes to you to speak truth in love. He says, restore them in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What are we calling one another to? What I want to call you to is gospel proclamation. Gospel proclamation. Gospel proclamation is not just for Pastor Jason. It's not just for the associate pastors. It's not just for your Bible uh, study leaders. It's for all of us. Jesus has set us apart. He saved us from sin, death, and hell. And he saved us to the church. And he saved us for his mission. And a part of that role for us is to be ambassadors of Christ. Agents of reconciliation, people who have open mouths about the work of Jesus. And we are supposed to proclaim the gospel. Doesn't mean that we always stand up in front of a pulpit and open the word of God and, and, and make jokes and try to get everybody to pay attention. This sometimes looks like you're at lunch or coffee. Maybe this is out while you're at the, the, the well site on the oil rig or whatever it is that you do. I don't know how this works itself out, but there are times and there are moments when you have to say out loud the gospel. Maybe it's to your your teenage daughter who thinks her identity is in appearance. Maybe it's your son who thinks his identity is in his performance on the football field. I don't know how it works itself out, but you are going to have to step in at times and proclaim the gospel over and over and over. And the primary reason is because we forget it. And there are two main groups of people probably in this room this morning uh, there are probably, I'm a lumper, so I like thinking big, big boxes and put every, try to cram everybody in them. But primarily, number one, there's people in this room that are very religious. And when I say a religious person, I don't mean like uh, pure and undefiled religion, like caring for widows and orphans. I mean, like you think probably that Jesus didn't really have to die that much for you because you're not that bad, right? You, you probably think, well, I never cheated on my wife or my taxes. And so Uh, You know, I know that I understand that we're sinners and I sing the songs. I know this, but I really don't feel the weight of my sin. There are people in this room who gain their identity from the things that they've never done. You kind of think of yourself as not that bad because I'm not as bad as this guy or my brother-in-law or this person. I've never done the things that they have done. And so you kind of see them as sinful people, but you see yourself as I know that I'm not enough. You kind of maybe identify with the rich young ruler who would say, I've done everything pretty much right, but I understand that I'm still kind of lacking, right? So there's some of us in this room that need to hear the gospel and be reminded that you're not good enough, 
that your righteousness does not come from your ability to not commit adultery, that even your righteousness, your good works, Isaiah would say that they are still as filthy rags. The Apostle Paul in his book Philippians would say that it's dog poop. When he says rubbish, that's, that's what he means. Our righteousness is like stepping in what your dog left in the yard and then holding it up and showing it to Jesus and say, how about that? Will that get me in? Like, no, your mom won't even let you in the house when you step in that, right? Why would Jesus let you in his kingdom with that stuff? The righteousness that we need is the righteousness that was earned by Jesus. Jesus didn't lower the bar. He raised it. He fulfilled the law. We need to be reminded that the gospel is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, he became our sin, even the sins of nice people that didn't cheat on their spouses. He became our sin, and his righteousness was transferred to us when we put our trust in him. There's another group of people in the room that are the rebellious type people. Like you're the ones that maybe you've been invited and invited and you thought you'd slip in to the 830 service because maybe then like the, the church wouldn't fall on you when you came in today, right? Like you thought there'd be less people that would, that would uh, maybe you thought, I bet there'll be less people at 830 service. So when the building falls in on me because I went to church today, there'll be less casualties, right? I don't know what you were thinking, but, but maybe you think God can't love me. Maybe your primary motivators are shame and guilt, and you constantly identify uh, with being unlovely and unlovable and that God could never draw near to you because you're so bad, but that he loves your grandma because she's really nice and your grandma's prayed for you, so God's kind of given you a free pass because he really likes someone else, but he's kind of just enduring you. You need to hear the gospel that Jesus loves you. There's no condemnation for those who, who are in Christ Jesus. God loves you. He draws near to us. He cares deeply for us. Your identity doesn't come from all the things that you've done, all the wrong that you've done. Your identity comes from Jesus dying for you, crying out to God and saying, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Remember where your righteousness comes from. And there's another group in the room, and those are people who have been sinned against, crimes committed against, the victims in the room, people who are deeply wounded and, and don't necessarily feel guilt and don't necessarily feel fear, but feel lots of shame. Jesus became your shame. Jesus died in your place for your sins. And while we're, we are victims, we're also sinners. And Jesus loves you and he draws near to you and he embraces you. And I would say that on any given Sunday, there are people in this room who have forgotten the gospel They've walked in here today, and they need to hear it. And I would say it's not just for the big room gatherings. I would say that there are people that sit at your supper table. There are people you have coffee with, your family. There are sometimes you're going to have to sit on the foot of your son's, foot of your son's bed and remind him of the gospel because you are called to be a person of gospel proclamation. In verses 2 through 6, Paul says, "...bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ." For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught uh, the word must share all good things with one who teaches. And so this is kind of messy, to be honest with you. Like, what is Paul saying? In one verse, he says that you need to bear one another's burdens, but then he also says... You need to carry your own load and test your own work. If you're like me, you kind of like Peter says, hey, you should read Paul, but remember, he's hard to understand, right? Paul can be hard to understand. What does he mean? What is the difference between bearing burdens and carrying loads? 
What, what this is a picture of here, if we were just reading a book, if it wasn't a letter and it would have a title, the title above these verses would say gospel community. It'd say gospel community. And what Paul is saying here is this, that he has not, Jesus hasn't just saved us from hell, he saved us to the church. Like there is not such a thing as independent Christians. Like we are all saved to belong to the church. I know some of you know this, so you've heard this, but like there is the church, universal, the church that's all time, all people, all over the globe. Then there are local churches where we locally uh, join up with, throw in with those people, give our, our tithes and our offerings there, serve there, all those things. And Paul has given us a picture of what that looks like. He's saying uh, two things. Number one is you need to carry your own load. You need to carry your own load. There are some things that you are responsible for and accountable to Jesus to do as a follower of Jesus. You're set apart for the mission of Jesus and to a group of people. And so right here, Paul is saying that there are some things that we are responsible for. You need to test your own work so that you could boast appropriately, not arrogantly, but say, hey, I'm doing what Jesus has saved me to do. And so this looks like followed up uh, chapter 5 where he talks about keeping in step with the Spirit of God. There should be fruit that comes in us. And we also know in other uh, verses of Scripture that Paul has written is there should also be spiritual gifts that work themselves out of us. And I want to say this to you guys is that you are responsible for discovering the way that Jesus has wired you to serve in the church. You're, you're responsible for figuring out the way the Holy Spirit of God has gifted you to be a blessing to other people in this community, in this gospel community, and even in your family. And so I'm, rather than just going on and on about spiritual gifts, I'll say this. You can take them and you can categorize them in three main categories. I think you can take them and categorize them in organizing gifts. You can categorize them in teaching gifts, and you can categorize them in caring gifts. The list goes on and on. I think that a spiritual gift is anything the Spirit of God enables you to do to carry on the mission of Jesus. You with me? Like, for example, you don't read in the list of Corinthians the gift of singing, but we know that some people have that gift and some people do not, right? Right? And so you are responsible for discovering where your role and what your place is, for opening up the bulletin and seeing like, where are the needs and what do I enjoy? What am I good at? If you want to know where you're gifted at, I'll just say this. What do you gripe about usually? Like whenever you walk in to, to your gathering, whenever you're at home with your family, like what do you find yourself constantly bothered by? Now, let me be careful. Like, I don't mean like some of you have the uh, spiritual gift of condemnation, like spiritual gift of accusation, like that's demonic. That's not the Holy Spirit of God. Like we shouldn't just walk, walk around griping about things for Jesus, right? But I mean, like, does it bother you if we're supposed to start at 8.30 and we start at 8.45? You're like, what is the deal, Right. Like some people are like, oh, no, that's more time to hang out with my friends. You might have caring gifts. If like, and so when a ministry gets started, if you're primarily thinking about who is that going to reach, who is that going to be for, who's going to be cared for because of this ministry, then you might primarily have caring gifts. Whenever you hear that we're going to do a, a study, we're going to read through Pilgrim's Progress, or we're going to learn through the book of Romans, and some of you may be thinking, well, I hope this gets covered. I hope this gets covered. I hope they talk about this. I hope they talk about that. You might have teaching or prophetic gifts. Does that make sense? If you care deeply about what gets taught, that may be where you are gifted. 
And so Paul would tell us, you are responsible for figuring out where you fit, figuring out where you should serve because Jesus didn't die and, and, and raise from the grave to make persons. Peter says that we once were not a people and now we are a people. So we're not autonomous individuals set apart from one another. Jesus has saved us to the church. He died and rose again for the church. That's who Jesus has saved us to. So when we discover our gifts, when we are firing on all cylinders, when we're operating in the way that he saved us and set us apart for, we can carry our own load so that we can, like he says here uh, in these verses, bear one another's burdens. Suffering is real, right? Like you are going to, if you live long enough, you're going to put someone in the grave that you care deeply for and it will wound your soul. If you live long enough, tragedy will strike. If you live long enough, you will lose a job you thought you always had. If you live long enough, a friend will betray you and let you down and you will have never seen it coming. Like we carry wounds. There are things that happen around us because of the fall, because of the curse that hurt and harm us. And there are some things that God did not design us to endure on our own, right? Like, first of all, Paul, or God said about Adam, it wasn't good for him to be by himself. Like, he's going to start wearing his underwear on the outside of his pants or something if God didn't give him a wife. And there are things that even you as a family, like there's some things that you just are not made to endure on your own. We recently, I recently um, attended the funeral of my mother-in-law. It was crushing. It was crushing. The weight of that was crushing, and I found myself collapsing, just breaking down and crying and, and trying to be there for my wife and tell her things were going to be okay, like she was completely fine, uh, had sickness here and there. And then last August, we find out that she is sick with cancer. And then by Christmas, uh, we, by December, we're, we're at her funeral. And there were people who gathered around us and helped us. They, they made meals. They brought them to our house. Somebody showed up at my house one day with an envelope full of cash and said, take your family back to Oklahoma to go be with them. I had people in the church that were gifted to be able to preach, rise up and said, I got the pulpit, pastor. You, you go be with your family. Do you see this picture? It's not just for pastors. It's for you as well. Like There are things that are going to happen. There are going to be times when, when you just don't have the money. Like, and it's not because you spend it all on lottery tickets and Cheetos or whatever it is. Like you, The weight of the world is crashing in on you, and you need to belong to a group of people that love you and are operating and carrying their load so that they can bear your burden. You with me? Like Sometimes I have to play a game called burdens and loads, but I think you guys get it. I think you understand what a crushing situation in life is. So, so in verses 7 through 10, Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But, from, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household um, of faith. So Jesus has saved us to his people, and he saved us for his mission. So here's what I say the win is at Valley Life Church. I say the win for us 
is gospel transformation. We want to see people's lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus. So what we want to do is we want to hold the word of God so highly so that when we preach it, we, we, we walk through it verse by verse, book by book, and it's our highest authority. We, we put it in the homes of our people when we're in our community groups, and we teach through it, and then things start coming up, and people start reading it. And when you read the Bible and you realize, like, the Bible says this, but I believe this way. Like, the, the Bible says that we're all one people. We're a people that transcends all cultures, but I'm racist, right? Like the Bible says that we're supposed to be generous with our money and generous with our things and love people and bless them. But I'm like, no, I worked for it. I'm not letting anybody touch it. You ain't, there ain't no welfare coming out of this house, right? Like whenever we realize like I disagree with Jesus, you have two options. Number one, you can change what the Bible says and that's called heresy and people go to hell for that, right? Unless you repent. I mean, you can always do that. And the second option is you can repent. Like when the Bible speaks, it should change you. When the Bible speaks, we shouldn't mess with it and change it. Like we should let it change us. And so here's the win for us. We don't want to take people into our church and make them conform disciples. When I say conform disciples, I mean like here's the list of cultural values that we have in surprise. We do this, we don't do this. So when we come together, it's like peer pressure for Jesus that's changing people, right? Like, we don't want to just come in and be like, we don't live together, so you shouldn't do that. And we don't say those words, so you shouldn't say them. We want the word of God in its weight and in its glory to transform people's lives. So, yeah, we have awkward conversations people with people because of the mission of Jesus. Does that make sense? Is, I hope it does. We don't just want informed disciples. We don't just want to come together and teach the Bible and it not change people's lives. So we don't just want to memorize it, and we don't want to leave it out and just peer pressure people into changing. We want to hold the Word of God up with such high regard, and we want to have the awkward conversations that produce fruit. And I'm telling you this, guys, the heaviest lifting of all gospel transformation, the heaviest lifting of all uh, good work, the heaviest lifting of all the harvest that you'll have if you don't give up is prayer. Can I just be straight with you? It's prayer. Whenever we planted Valley Life Church, we made a list of 100 names. And they weren't 100 names of people that were going to a church across town, but if they found out we were planting this church, they'd probably come over and help us, right? We made a list of 100 names of people who were far from God, who did not love Jesus. And we were like, I cannot believe we're just going to try to plant a church with all of these people. right? So we would ask the Holy Spirit, please run ahead of us, prepare their hearts for the gospel conversations that we are going to have with them. And I just wanted to tell you guys this, that uh, here about a month or two ago, I was sitting in one of our community groups and I was looking around the room. And I want you to know that everybody in that community group, uh, there was probably 12 or 14 adults in there and like 100 kids running around the house, not really 100, like 15, 20 kids and 12 adults in that house. Uh, it's non-sustainable, like we need a plan, right? Uh, I think the house is going to tear down. But, uh, but I was looking around the room and everyone in that room was someone that we had prayed for that did not know Jesus before we launched the church. People who were outside of our gospel community. But because of gospel mission, they were brought in. So they were saved from sin, death, and hell. They were saved to the people of God, and they were saved for the mission of God. And I'm going to tell you this. There are cheap imitations for the mission of God. There are really good things that keep us from the great thing called the mission of God. 
don't know if you guys Facebook, anybody Facebook? Like Facebook is a cheap imitation for the mission of God. It's easy to get fired up about who should be president or what flags we should fly and what we shouldn't. And we get on there and we get all fired up and we forget like this really is secondary, not primary, right? Like sometimes we, we just don't know what to do. So I'm gonna do something. I gotta say something. I'm gonna blast, put someone on blast on Facebook, right? Like, let me just say this. Like the mission of God is not primarily defined by what we're against. It's primarily defined by what we're for. Jesus loves sinners, right? We should be drawing near to people in this community who are far from God, holding the Bible up very high, having awkward conversations with them for, the, for their good to bring them into gospel community because Jesus has drawn near to us. Jesus was sitting at the right hand of the Father as king of the universe. And he and his Father and the Holy Spirit looked at us and the mess that we have made is like, man, somebody spilled the milk down there and somebody's got to go clean it up. So Jesus comes and he lives a life without sin. He dies a death of a sinner and he defeats the grave so that we could be saved from hell, saved to the, the people of God and saved for Jesus' mission. Let me pray. Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for Leakin Avenue Baptist Church. I thank you for the work that you are doing here. I thank you for the gospel partnership that we have with them. I thank for the lives that are changed and constantly asking my friends, John and Jason, tell me the story about how this church started and how it's grown and the beautiful story of Pastor Gary coming back and the guy who started coming back. I just thank you for the beautiful gift that this church is to Woodward but also the gift that they are to Valley Life Church. I pray that you continue to bless Jason's family, bless the pastoral staff, bless the leaders and the volunteers as they push back darkness in Woodward, Oklahoma, as they live on gospel mission and bring people into gospel community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.